0: Hello and welcome aboard this island nation. The Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development.
1: On this edition, the story of a most unusual boat. There's great stories around her building and why she was called the Free State. Obviously, it was coming out of the time of the Troubles. Mick was a, an active participant in the. struggle as they called it then. He was a battalion commander in Ballycotton for the Irish Republican Army and he sought alone, with the assistance of his brothers to get a boat for himself after the struggle was all over and people were returning to normal life. We'll have the story of Free State C1, a
0: fishing boat from the start of the history of the Irish Free State and the Irish maritime economy is doing better than the general economy
2: what we've noticed since the pickup is that the ocean economy industries they tend to have a higher growth rate than the general economy
0: This Island Nation is Ireland's Maritime Radio Programme, a reflective radio show about the sea coming to you from the studios of CRY 104FM in Yall on the East Cork coastline and bringing together, through the community radio network, the maritime community around Ireland. On this edition, we welcome listeners to Bear Island Community Radio in West Cork. It's a particular delight to welcome an offshore island community with its own radio station to join our family of the sea. It's very important to support the island communities. Those of us who live in what is described as the mainland are just residents of a larger island. So it's great to be joined by listeners on Bear Island. Welcome aboard Bear Island Community Radio. Mare Island is at the head of Bantry Bay and to the east along the south coast of County Cork having rounded Mizen head is Cape Clear and then Baltimore and from there along the Island River you come to Old Court near Skibbereen and the Hagerty Boatyard Whereas we've reported on this programme the legendary island, Ireland's last remaining trading catch was restored and we'll hear more about her later in the programme. In that yard, I came across the story of another boat, one also with huge historical interest and painted in the colours of the tricolour. Making my way between other boats, I got to Free State C1. And there, at the stern of this old vessel, Owen Ryan, told me the story of how she started life in his family and eventually returned to its
1: ownership. Well, she was built in 1923. She wasn't built here in this yard. She was built in West Cork, over nearer to Baltimore in uh, Skinners. And um, she was built for two fishermen of Ballycotton. They were both O'Reardon brothers, uh, Michael and Johnny. And um, Johnny would be my grandfather and Mick was his brother. Now, there's great stories around her building and why she was called the Free State. Um, Obviously, it was coming out at the time of the Troubles. Um, Mick was an active participant in the... The struggle, as they called it then, he was a battalion commander in Ballycotton for the Irish Republican Army. And he he sought a a loan with the assistance of his brothers to to, to get a boat for himself after the the struggle was all over and people were returning to to normal life. So that's why the the Free State came to be. And she um, was built here in Baltimore, registered in Cork and brought to Ballycotton. Where she fished from 1924 to sometime in the 80s, which is a very very long life for any boat, let alone a wooden boat of that era. Um, she um, was kind of decommissioned, if you like, in the 80s, and uh, brought back to to West Cork by Stephen Pierce, the potter from Shanagarry, and he had every intention of restoring her back then. Um, Stephen Pierce's fortunes changed around that time, and he uh, he packed up his business in Garyville and in Shanagari, and he, uh, he left Ireland for a number of years and the project just languished. Um, when I came to live down in West Cork, I saw the boat at some point and recognised what it was and uh, did a little bit of digging and found that in fact it had been given back to a member of my family, uh, Bridget O'Riordan, by Stephen Pearce. He was an empl- she was an employee of his, so it had somehow passed back into the family. So I stayed interested in it and focused on it and had various dreams and ideas about maybe restoring it but um i mean that wasn't to be so far anyway we've uh, made a little bit of a exhibition surrounding her which i'll show you later and uh, that was put together for the centenary the 1916 centenary which happened in uh, 2016 as you'll be aware so um that's where we are now really tom with her Looking at her now,
0: obviously, she's in a state of repair being needed. But she looks uh,
1: almost to have kind of sailing boat lines in her. Uh, about 33, 34 feet long? Yeah, she's 33 feet on the waterline, 35 feet over, overall. But yeah, she was very much built as a sailing boat. That was the style at the time still. But then again, she was the first fishing boat we know of to be built with an engine from day one. Now, it was very evident that the engine was the be-all end-all because a few years later there's pictures of her in the harbour in Ballycotton and the mast is gone so um, you know the engine was everything and um, a lot of the stories around her are a bit um, unproven but they say like she paid for herself in a couple of years they bought the two brothers bought a second boat within two or three years called the St Anne and my grandfather fished the St Anne and Mick Reardon continued to, to fish the Free State and fished her, as I say, right through to the 80s, or his family did, his descendants did.
0: Looking at her now, there's obviously a fair bit of emotion. I mean, she's green on the waterline. It it looks
1: like the colour was white, side-decking. But she's just more than a boat. There's a lot of history in her, own. There is, and, uh, you know, the fortunes of the family probably centred around her as well. Um, They were relatively prosperous after those years. Um, But the colour is interesting. Um, The original colour or so Don O'Riordan tells me, who's still alive. He said it was called Tostel Green. And I believe Tostel Green was kind of the Free State colour, colour of the, the the post boxes and vehicles of the time, you know. Uh-huh. So she was tostel Green, mainly on the hull, and she has, she was picked out then in white along the, uh, the gunnel, and she would have had a rubbing streak of yellow and black. Uh-huh. So very distinctive colours, which the family pretty much kept although there were times in her history when Annie o green would do, you know. Yeah. Tricolour colours. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And she'd go back to being the first boat, fishing boat really registered. then, would she?
1: Yes, well, I, I had to get a bit of help researching that one because we couldn't really understand why she was C1. But in actual fact, what happened was in, in 1922, when the new administration was taking over in Ireland, they overhauled the registration system So they started to weed out the numbers that were no longer in existence. So in other words, the boats that were no longer in existence with a C number, they took those numbers back. And then under the new system, they started to issue them again. So that's how she ended up with C1, which is obviously a very characteristic... uh, uh, It is, when you think the way the fishing industry has gone out, that this was the start of it. It's the start of that, and it's interesting. I, I think it's possibly the start of the Irish state... Um, assisting fishing. So we have records of the repayments of the loans going over a few years and, you know, if someone like BIM were to look back at that, they could say, well, this is where we started, you know, and how much have we done since then? Yeah. And where yeah. has the industry gone to? Well, that's another question, you know. I mean, this boat was uh, uh, a very futuristic almost uh, uh, a super business venture in her time but... Uh, you know, in this day and age, fishing has kind of gone in other directions, isn't it?
0: Owen Ryan and the story of Free State C1, a photograph of which you can see on our Facebook page. She was registered when the emergent Irish Free State Administration wouldn't allow her to be named in Irish, so the family gave it that name in English, I think making their point. In Owen's home, he showed me the exhibition he referred to in the interview, impressive and interesting, with all the details of the registration of the boat, its financing, its history and many photographs. Now, it may surprise you to hear that Ireland's ocean economy has been developing better than the general economy. That hasn't got particularly a lot of attention from national media or government, where there's more concentration on promoting overseas investment in Ireland. The Whitaker Institute's Socio-Economic Marine Research Unit, SEMRU, at NUI Galway, has put the value of Ireland's ocean economy turnover at 6.2 billion euros. Dr Stephen Hines, director of the Institute, discussed its findings with Justin Marr.
2: These are ports we've been putting together now for 10 years and once every two years we try and update the figures associated with Ireland's ocean economy. And we classify that as 13 different industries related to the marine environment, from shipping and maritime transport to sea fisheries, aquaculture, through to the more emerging industries such as marine advanced tech and marine commerce these figures, then, they're used by the government to assess how they're progressing in terms of certain targets they've set out under the Integrated Marine Plan for Ireland, harnessing our ocean wealth. And we've seen significant progress in terms of the ocean economy in recent times. So just to give you a few headline figures, in 2018, Ireland's ocean economy had a turnover of about 6.2 billion, and it made a direct economic contribution to the Irish economy of 2.2 billion, or about 1% of total GDP. And in employed uh, in the region of 34,000 full-time equivalent individuals across all those 13 different industries. And just to say, in terms of the targets set out by the government in harnessing our ocean wealth, there was two headline targets there. One was to double the value of Ireland's ocean wealth by 2030 to approximately 2.4% of GDP. So at the moment, we're at about 2%. And that has seen an increase in recent times. And also, the second target was to increase the turnover from Ireland's ocean economy to exceed 6.4 billion by 2020. So currently that stands at 6.2 billion uh, and that has been increasing steadily now since approximately uh, 2015. So they're well on track for that 2020 target.
3: And which sectors are the strongest performers within that, Stephen?
2: The largest uh, industries would be shipping and maritime transport followed by tourism in marine and coastal areas followed then by uh, seafood industry. Year on year the international cruise market saw the largest increase in turnover, followed by the oil and gas exploration and production at 29%. And within the more emerging markets, marine commerce had a very strong year in 2018 with growth of 27%. So they'd have seen the strongest growth.
3: Now, you mentioned earlier you've been doing this for 10 years. It's the fifth report. Uh, What medium to long term trends are you seeing?
2: In line with the general economy, there was a downturn during the recession for a number of years, and it was relatively slow to pick up. But what we've noticed since the pickup is that the ocean economy industries, they tend to have a higher growth rate than the general economy now since approximately 2015 to 2018. That has become less dramatic, that difference, and this year now is about 1% or 2% greater in terms of growth than the general economy. But we see in line with the general economy, in particular shipping, that's going to very much follow the general economy because if there's an increase in the general economy activity, more goods and services are needed, and that, obviously as an island nation, that's all being transported. So we would expect to see very similar trend related to shipping and maritime transport the other big one especially in terms of employment is marine related tourism and again we've seen very strong growth in the last number of years i think it went up by six percent in 2018 and again that's very much if you see that in the general economy it's going to be reflected in marine tourism as well Um, i suppose in terms of outlook for some of the other sectors then you know, like I mentioned, International Cruise saw the the largest increase in uh, activity in 2018 of any of the sectors. It was a 40% increase there. But we've all heard about some of the constraints maybe facing that sector now in the future, especially with Dublin Port Authority announcing the fact that they may limit the number of berths available. Uh, and that will have knock-on effects for other ports in terms of the number of ships that may visit. So that could have serious repercussions for that particular sector. Elsewhere, if you look at maritime commerce, there's a lot of talk at the moment about the possibility of attracting in some of the business within that industry from the likes of London on the back of Brexit. We've already saw in 2018 two very large marine insurance companies come here and set up subsidiaries in Dublin. There's possibilities there of increasing that type of business, uh, attracting in these companies from London. So the Irish Maritime Development Office, they envisage maybe setting up a shipping financial service sector here, building on our strengths in terms of the financial centre in Dublin. And then, of course, if renewables... The prospects are very good. There is a number of companies now at the moment looking at developing offshore wind farms off the Coastal Louth and extending the Arklow Bank wind farm. So again, I think you're going to see a ramping up of activity in that area as well. And particularly when you think about the targets now we have to meet in relation to emissions and renewable energy targets. Uh, I think the future for the offshore marine industry is very bright.
0: Dr Stephen Hines and the value of Ireland's ocean economy. Next, lifeboats and their connection with sport this summer. Niamh Stevenson Public Affairs Manager with the RNLI, joins us from their Irish headquarters at Swords in County Dublin.
4: Summer is a great time for sporting events and this month has been heavy on sport in the RNLI. What's always surprising when we work with some well-known faces is that there can be some amazing stories or reasons for their involvement. It's a good reminder that nobody is too far from the water and it has a huge effect on them. And in the case of one of our sports stars, drowning touches so many families and friends. The week of the Open started with a questions and answers fundraising breakfast for the Ornalli with Portrush native golfer Graeme McDowell. It was clear he was on home turf when his proud parents were by his side and many of the questions from the crowd had some definite insider knowledge behind them. On hand was the coxswain Des Austin who talked Graeme through exactly where funds raised for the Ornalli are spent and by the end of it Graeme was very familiar with the workings of a Severn class lifeboat. Des was joined by Lifeboat Crew and the charity's beach lifeguards who work on 10 beaches in Northern Ireland. They were expecting a busy time with so many visitors coming to Portrush for the Open. And in an incredibly generous gesture, Graeme pledged to match the funds raised for the Orneli at the event, which turned out to be £12,816. What was touching to hear from Graeme, who spends most of his time in America now, where he is based, was that he has fond memories of his school visits to the Portrush lifeboat station and of the importance that it held in the town he grew up in. He spent his childhood holidays on the beach and no surprises on the golf course. GAA broadcaster Marty Morrissey and Clare hurling legend Anthony Daly joined ORNLI lifeboat crew and young players from Clare GAA clubs to raise awareness of the risks of drowning and encourage people to enjoy the water safely. They met at the ORNLI's Clare-based lifeboat station in Kilrush. The pair were there to promote the Respect the Water campaign, which is part of the joint partnership between the ORNLI and the GAA. The RNLI's continuing work with the GAA involves RNLI volunteer ambassadors visiting GAA clubs around the country to give safety advice and messages to young people and to raise awareness of the risks of drowning. 37 RNLI volunteers have delivered over 100 talks at clubs as part of the partnership with more due to take place during the summer months. Marty's home is the picturesque fishing village of Quilty in West Clare. We learned that he attempted to learn to swim as a child, but he never quite got over his fear of the water. However, he has promised to learn how to swim when this season's GAA Championship is over and Water Safety Ireland will be on hand with advice and instruction. Speaking at the launch, Marty said... When I was a young boy growing up in Quilty, my bedroom literally looked out onto the Atlantic Ocean. I remember that every 13 seconds, the light from the lighthouse on the Aran Islands shone in my window. I would paddle in the water and some of my friends would jump into the water back at the pier in Seafield. But I wouldn't. I had the fear. I want to get over that and I've set myself the challenge to learn properly. It is so important because after all, we all live on the island of Ireland and water plays such an important part in our lives. Anthony Daly also had a very personal reason for getting involved. He lost a good friend, Michael Scanlon, affectionately known as Fondy, to drowning many years ago. Fondy was a long-standing kit man at his beloved Clarecastle GAA club and drowned while out fishing. Speaking about the tragedy, Anthony said, Everyone knew and loved Fondy. He was from a big family where I grew up. He was a great GAA man and came from a strong fishing background. When word came to the village that Fondy was lost, there was a rush to the quay to help. We spent the week walking the banks and we wouldn't go to training while the search was ongoing. He was found the following Sunday at the River Fergus and while it was a blessing for the family, his loss has been deeply felt by everyone who knew him. Antony now swims in the sea every week and has made sure that all his daughters can swim. So until next time, calm seas and safe harbours.
0: Neil Stevenson, and the question arising, will Marty Morrissey do better at swimming than dancing? Now Justin Marr rounds up other maritime news from Irish and overseas waters.
3: Shark species, previously unrecorded in Irish waters, has been sighted in the Celtic Sea during a fishery survey on the Marine Institute's RV Celtic Explorer. A smooth hammerhead shark was reported on the edge of the continental shelf southwest of Ireland. The sighting was made by experienced marine mammal observer John Power and bird observer Paul Connerton during the Marine Institute's Western European Shelf Pelagic Acoustic Survey. John Power said, While scanning the ocean surface, we sighted a dorsal fin unlike anything we had encountered before. It was quite different to the fins seen on basking sharks and blue sharks. After consulting available ID keys, we agreed that the shark must be a smooth hammerhead. Ninety-three years after she sailed to the Falkland Islands and following her extensive renovation at Liam Hegarty's boatyard in Old Court, Skibbereen County, Cork, the legendary Conor O'Brien's Island, the last Irish traditional trading catch, has reached the capital of Greenland, Nork. This is her Salmon's Wake educational voyage from Limerick and the Shannon, tracing the migratory path of Salmon. It's a great achievement for the project, led by Limerick man Gary McMahon. Most of Greenland's population lives in this bustling port town with the support of the Danish government. The 56-foot island has sailed through a lot of different weather patterns on her 1,200 nautical mile journey since she left Limerick at the end of June. An arduous voyage of constant fog and one serious gale, reported the crew of the island, skippered by Paddy Barry. A replica model of the Lusitania is being erected at the entrance to Court Village in West County Cork. The Cunard liner was en route from New York to Liverpool when she was torpedoed by the German U-boat U-20 and sank in 18 minutes, 12 miles off the old head of Kinsale. The rowing and sailing boat at Court McSharry at the time went to the rescue. Marking the centenary of the tragedy in 2015, Court McSherry’s and Patrick's Day Committee had a float for the annual parade, which included a 19-foot-long plywood model of the Lusitania that was constructed by local builder and carpenter Richard O'Sullivan. It was originally built for one day, but the committee was asked to put it on display at the picnic area at the entrance to the village, where it became a heritage tourism attraction that remained for almost three years until weather eventually took its toll and it was removed. Now it is being replaced. Finally, after a pod of whales washed up on the shores of a Georgia beach, dozens of beachgoers helped push them back to deeper waters. Up to 50 pilot whales swam into the shallow water surrounding St. Simons Island, with six getting caught in the surf. Officials from the State Department worked alongside emergency services and members of the public to push them back out to sea. A spokesman for the Georgia Wildlife Resources Division said everyone worked really hard to turn the pod around. The latest information we have is really positive. They've turned around and are now heading out in the right direction. Three of the whales did not survive with one having to be humanely euthanized. The reason behind the mass stranding is not known.
0: Now to the offshore islands, and from Inijlaar in Clue Bay, Rhoda Twombly's Secretary of Kogol Ilona Heron reports the latest news from the islands.
5: Bear Island Community Radio recently became the latest station to take this island nation on board. The station was formed as part of a European project, the Grassroots Radio, and has gone from strength to strength. So well done, Bear. We wish you continued success. The National Inventory of Intangible Cultural Heritage was created by the Department of Culture, Heritage and the Gleiltacht as an integral part of their work under the 2003 UNESCO Convention for the Safeguarding of the Intangible Cultural Heritage to highlight, promote and help protect traditions and customs particular to Ireland. The permanent inventory of 30 elements was launched by Minister Josefa Madigan at Waterways Ireland, among them Mark Ananathalov, or landmarks or marks for fishing and navigation, written and submitted by Aaron Morris Seamus Bonner of the Irish Islands Marine Resources Organization. Seamus writes about the significance of marks to island fishers past and present and how this knowledge has been passed down through the generations one topic per year may be considered for inclusion in the unesco list of intangible culture of humanity so far elin piping has been accepted hurling is being considered and harping has been proposed so congratulations to seamus and all those involved on tory island there is an art exhibition being held at the dixon gallery until the end of july the works are all by Island painters and the exhibition is a special tribute to Patsy Dan McRory. Make sure to pencil in Clare Island on your calendar for Sunday the 4th of August for the Morgan Pinder Family Fun Memorial Day. Morgan tragically lost his life in a road accident and his family wished to honour the memory of this fine young man in a fitting way with games, sport, kiaul crack for all ages. The event takes place at the Clare Island GAA pitch from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., and there'll be music in the community center following the outdoors fun. The organizers noted that any sponsorship or prizes will be greatly appreciated. Speaking of fun, Bear Island is preparing for its annual festival, running from the 2nd to the 11th of August. There's something for everyone, young or not so young. Highlights include live music and drama, a park run and fishing competition, children's puppet show, and a seafood demo to name just a few activities. You can even become a radio DJ with a little instruction from Bear Island Community Radio and host your own show. Do check bearisland.net for details. I hope some of you took the opportunity to visit beautiful Inishtuk for their sea vest third week of July. But if not, don't fret. The fabulous walks are still there waiting to be enjoyed. Not to mention wonderful food, swimming, fishing, beachcombing, and maybe even a pint or two. You will definitely want to be out there for the music from Kjoltyskutoriaren, August bank holiday. So make your plans now. There's no better place to spend free time during the summer than on any of our magical islands, whether for a quiet pint or one with music and dance or walks, water sports, or just lying on the beach. Pick an island and enjoy. So for now, it's slawn from the Islands.
0: And Cape Clear Island in County Cork is also working on starting its community radio station, we're told. Rhoda to Twombly there ending this edition of This Island Nation produced at CRY 104 FM Yole on the East Cork coastline with technical supervision by Justin Marr and broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland and Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. On Dok FM, Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. Clare on Radio Cork of on Kilkenny City Community Radio, in Limerick on West Limerick 102 FM, Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar, on Cork City Community Radio, West Cork FM and Community Radio Bear Island. Podcasts on iTunes, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and the Times.ie. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime community. You can contact the programme on email to thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone or text 0872 555 That's email, thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone or text 0872 555 And there's a weekly blog on Facebook. Until our next programme from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing.